I like to think uh, in the areas we work, which is extreme poverty, it is poverty that scars your soul. It damages you um, from almost the outside in and you don't have the ability yourself to fix those scars because um, you have no capacity to change your world. Well, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm really excited. Uh, we have a guest, Claire Steele, who is the CEO of Compassion Australia. Uh, and we're going to have a really big conversation around, okay, what's the role that business plays? How do we get outside of ourselves? How do we get eyes off our own self and, and start to play a bigger kingdom game? So strap in. This one is going to be amazing. All right. So first question, Claire, who is Claire Steele? Hi, Wes. Lovely to be here. I think you started with the hard questions. Who is Claire Steele? No, um, I'm Claire. I'm the CEO of Compassion Australia. I'm also a wife to Matt, a mum to three kids. Um, I love riding. I ride to work every day, though the temperature in Newcastle is challenging that at the moment. Uh, I love to bake bread. Um, and one of my biggest um, favourite hobbies is actually reading books, as the Compassion Australia team will tell you. I have too many book recommendations for them to keep up with. So um, that's a bit about who I am. Well, let's, you can't just stop at books. Like, are we talking okay. like, are we talking like Tom Clancy, Crate? Like, wh where are we with books? Okay, so I'm talking both fiction and nonfiction. Fiction at the moment, um, I've just finished a young adult series that my kids are reading um, by Lynette Noni, who is a brilliant uh, young Australian author. But I, I don't really have a favourite. I'm happy to read almost anything. Yeah, cool. Um, now, your role as uh, CEO of Compassion, now, I think from memory, you, I, didn't you start like 60 days before COVID outbreak or something, like as CEO? Um, uh, so what's the vision of Compassion? Um, and, and what are you going to bring to Compassion that's possibly different to what's gone before? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Great question. The vision of Compassion, our, our mission statement, is that we release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And um, to do that, we work through 8,000 churches around the world, uh, churches that live in communities where extreme poverty is. Uh, and our vision in Australia is to be part of the global church that enables these churches to reach out to the children in their area. At the moment, Compassion has 2 million children in their programs, um, and we really... You said COVID happened. So we've really been seeing churches pivot and be agile to really provide amazing care to children in poverty around the world at this moment. What, what's my hopes and dreams uh, for Australia? I, I like to think of the church. I'm not talking about the, just individual churches. I'm talking about the body of Christ. I want us to be known for caring for the poor and vulnerable. I want people in Australia to go, the church, oh, they love the people that can't help themselves. They love those people and they're actively chasing them to care and, and really see them flourish. So that's what I want for Australia. And that's obviously bigger than compassion, but we have a great role to play in that. Hey, I'm not sure if you heard, but I've got an event coming up called the Kingdom Business Summit. We've been running these since 2012, all over Australia, been in the US and New Zealand, and there's one coming up real soon. And I invite you to grab your tickets whether you attend in person in Brisbane, Australia, or on our live stream. It's two and a half days of the most practical kingdom business training you could ever imagine. I'll be speaking through how to scale up your business. I've got Olympic medalists. I've got the father of the marketplace movement, Ed Silvoso, dialing in. 
I've got a, a, a couple of local entrepreneurs who have built significant businesses. There's going to be a time of networking and a time of fun. It's going to be a phenomenal, life-changing event. To find out more, just go to kingdombusiness.global. Kingdombusiness.global. It's the most preeminent event you could ever go to, the most practical event you could ever go to, and we're going to have a whole bunch of fun while they're there. All right, grab your ticket soon. I look forward to seeing you at the event. Let's go back to this episode. So basically what you want is what Jesus wanted. Um, <laughs> Let's hope we're aligned yeah, on that. That's, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's fairly simple really, hey, when you put it like that, you know, yeah. um, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me, right? So yeah. um, I'm gonna love where this conversation goes. All right, so most people think poverty um, and, you know, I, I was born in London and I've spent most of my life in Australia. So apart from a few trips, to Philippines and maybe Borneo and if, if, like I, I probably haven't even, I haven't seen the worst of it, there's no doubt about it. I could probably even say that I haven't really even experienced it, right? Um, but there are new forms of poverty that I'm hearing about, right? So we think it's no food and shelter possibly, but how broad is poverty? You know, like, like in a competitive world where everyone's got a device, not everyone's got a device. They put some right behind the eight ball from day one. Right, so so how I, I guess I want to explore. Sure, food and shelter are important, but from your point of view, how broad is poverty uh, beyond food and shelter? Yeah, it's a really good question. Poverty impacts every component of your life. Um, I love that you went to devices. So it is um, access to education, access to innovation, access to te technology, but it's even um, the access to dream. So if you're a child living in extreme poverty, the biggest hope you have is that you'll have food tomorrow. And so you don't have the ability to dream. They don't have the access to play. So I love walking through Australia and seeing people playing. They, they're just surviving. So it's, it's physical, it's shelter, it's food, it's mental. How can they not have anxiety about living each day? It's spiritual. As Christians, we believe that the greatest form of poverty is not knowing, having a relationship with Jesus. And then it's just the ability to imagine a future. And so it's all encompassing. I like to think uh, in the areas we work, which is extreme poverty, it is poverty that scars your soul. It damages you um, from almost the outside in. And you don't have the ability yourself to fix those scars because um, you have no capacity to change your world. Wow, that just got heavy real quick. Sorry, I know extreme poverty does. It scars your soul. That's 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 brutally confronting. Yeah. Because the first thing I wrote down is what's the antidote? Now, of course, Jesus is the great universal answer, but but surely it's us. You know. Yeah. Um, maybe even more so because we're going to end up doing the thing that Jesus wants to do, you know, in his hands and feet, if you like. Yeah. Um, we, we're going to explore that. But before, I want to go back to the first time you saw poverty. So whether that was with compassion or in a, in a previous life, tell yeah. me about the first time you saw poverty, like, like harsh poverty, like real yeah. poverty. And it was only a few years ago. So it was only about four years ago. Um, and it was in one of the countries you mentioned, actually, the Philippines, uh, my husband was a minister and we took our church to the Philippines on a compassion trip. And I, for that whole week, felt hopeless. And I was hopeless because of what I was seeing. You're walking through streets where you walk through sewerage. You're walking past homes that are 
two or three metres wide and they're less safe than the cubby houses that our children have in our backyards. You're walking past children cleaning clothes in dirty puddles. Um, well, you're walking past adults that are comatose on the street because of addiction. And for me, the problem, you just said it, the problem seemed so big. And so I felt hopeless because I had no antidote. I had no solution. This was beyond anything that I could fix. Not enough money, not enough power, not enough control. That was not possible. And so I felt, I, I just felt lethargic and heavy for the whole week. But on the last day, we're walking down a, a dark alleyway. Hardly light gets through. There's children like eight, 10 in these tiny rooms trying to live. Uh, we, we walk past uh, a couple of children, two, three-year-olds selling rubbish that they'd found around to try and get enough money for the school. We're walking past prostitutes, too young. I didn't even want to think what their ages were. And so I'm just thinking, wow, we are just in a world that's hopeless. But I started to hear a sound and I couldn't see where the sound's coming from. And it's a sound I mentioned before, I love. It's that sound of children playing, you know, like they're shouting to one another, there's feet running, there's balls bouncing, there's laughter. It's, it's when you walk past a school playground as school breaks up, it's overwhelming. And so I'm hearing that sound but around me, it's hopeless. And I'm really, I don't know how to, to work out what's going on. But we turn a corner. And out in front of us is a playground. Now, don't imagine a playground in Australia. Imagine a dirt rectangle with a basketball hoop that has been hung off too much, sort of dangling, and about 60 children. And they are just, they've got balls, they've got laughter, they've got a few broken chairs. They're having the best time. And I feel like all of a sudden there's this glimmer of hope. And we walk towards this place and I realise this is where we're coming. This is the church, the Compassion Project. And it felt like at that moment I could almost reach out and touch the work that God was doing. And you could see that this sound of hope could ripple across communities and begin to change the world. And God um, very obviously spoke to me and said, this is not yours to solve. What on earth did you think you could solve this? But it's mine and I already am. Are you gonna join me in this process? And it is the most powerful experience I've ever had of the gospel at work. It's a beautiful story, right? And um, because we can't fall into one of the two, it can't be like turn a blind eye no. And be overwhelmed and do nothing. Like yep. neither of those work, right? right? So so somewhere in the middle ground, there's got to be, um, you know, there's, there's got to be a part that we play. You know, I mean, if, if I look at what I'm trying to achieve, I'm trying to get rid of corruption in the marketplace, which is just yeah. ludicrous, right? Like absolutely ludicrous to even have a crack at it. But I'm, I'm that stupid and that naive to think that I can put a dent in that world. Yeah. Um, but, I, but, but there have been times where I was ignorant to the idea right, that there yeah. was even corruption. When I first kind of had that assignment fall on me, I was, like you, completely useless. Like, how could I, like, it, and the re I realised that I'm not the saviour of the world. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that's what you're saying too. In that yeah. moment, you realise that, sure, we have to shoulder a burden. We have a part to play, but I'm not the saviour of the world. Yeah. 
And so in that moment, like I had and you had, like it's quite liberating to then go, okay, well, what's in my hand and what do I get started with? Exactly right. So what did you do? What did you do when you, when you had that moment, you felt it was tangible, you can see the work, God invites you into it. Did you race out and go, right, I want to be the CEO of this organization and <laughs> kick them out and become, or did, like what, I want to get real practical on that one little, what was that one little step forward that you took? Yeah, yeah so my husband had been to the Philippines with Compassion about a year earlier. And he met a Compassion alumni, someone who'd been to our sponsorship program. And he said to Matt, he said, all you have to do is what God is asking you to do in this moment. And so we went back to Australia. Matt was a pastor of a church. And we thought, well, the best thing we can do is get our church energised towards caring for the vulnerable. So we created a partnership with Compassion. And we talked to everyone. Um, oh, I love Compassion. love this work. Do you know what poverty is like? I learnt, I, I said before, I, I, read, I like to read. I read more, so I actually understood what was going on. Uh, I would read stories about children living in poverty. It was firstly getting to understand the world. And then, yeah, what do I have? I have my influence, my group of friends. I, have, um, I can ask people to be engaged and I can pray. And I did pray. I prayed to God, what, how can you use us? But also, what, what do you see the world to be? And how can we be engaged? And so, no, I did not think I would be the CEO of Compassion Australia at that moment. That's so cool. Hey, sorry to butt in, but I need you to subscribe to the show. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe and hit the bell. If you're listening to the podcast, do me a favor, share, comment, like. See, I'm the one paying the bills around here. We don't have these fancy sponsors that roll in. It's me. I'm paying the bills. And in return, I would love it if you would help me. Subscribe, like, share. All right, let's get back to the show. And I think we tend to overlook those little bits, yeah. you know, the, 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 the little opportunities, because we think, you know, we read about YWAM, right? Global organization. And we think, well, it's got to have 60 million people involved. And, you know, we see conferences with 10,000 people and think that, and, it, and, and not realizing that, I mean, go back to YWAM, it started with two people and a guitar, you know? Yeah. So, and, and I think, especially in this world where everything's big and flashy, we, we tend to not think about it, you know. For, for us, we language it as an assignment. We believe that every single person has an assignment. As I read scripture, they all had an assignment, right? Daniel had one, Esther had one, Paul had yeah. one, Jesus had one. So, um, and so we all have them. I've got one, you've got one, as you, and you're walking in it today. Um, but, but we have to engage that assignment. And, and it never starts grandiose, and it never starts with having it all together, I find. Yeah. It starts with, I feel inadequate, I'm, I'm too small to do this but I've got five loaves and two fishes and I'm going to give it a crack. That's, that's kind of how it feels at the start, hey? Definitely. It, yeah. What can I do today? What's the one thing I can do today? So um, some of the people listening would know this, but we've actually had Compassion come to our business conferences and, and have some sort of partnership there. And um, we, uh, well, you were, our last time was when we were going around the country together and I hadn't met you at that stage. Um, just with your wonderful team. And we got shut down because of COVID. We were on a yep. five-city tour. We got three yep. cities in and the wheels fell off. Um, and, and that's been a wonderful partnership over, I don't know, like three or four years um, of me just kind of showcasing the work of Compassion. Yep. But I really wanted to help the vision in terms of business people, right? So yep. Sponsor Children's amazing because you get to change a life and a family and a community. 
but I wanted to, with, with, with the resources that I had as visible, I was like, can, can we just cheat this a little bit and yeah. tackle top-down change was where it was in my mind. Yes. Um, and so in that partnership, you know, we've raised some money for you guys, which has been amazing. And that's gone to developing, I guess, kingdom entrepreneurs in developing countries. And excuse me if that's not the right language. I'm not 100% sure whether oh, it's <laughs> developing countries still or whatever. But what role do you think that business plays Let's go with in creating poverty to start with, like the, on the bad side. What role do you think business plays in creating poverty? I, I think that's a massive question. I think um, can, I want to start in Australia. So what role can Australian businesses have in creating poverty? Uh, we have a wonderful new legislation called the Modern Slavery Act, yeah. and that requires businesses to look at their supply chains and work out where they are enabling slavery and poverty. And so I think what a great place to start by looking at your own supply chains and saying, are we actually caring for the people who are working on our behalf? And what a great opportunity that the government has given us to really engage in that. So we can not intentionally have a role to play in enabling slavery and poverty in that way. But then there's this other side we also need to be encouraging businesses in these countries of extreme poverty because without business, they can't actually get to the next economic runs. Um, and then the economic market, um, Jeffrey Sachs, who did the Sustainable Development Goals, he talks about how the economy can help countries out of poverty if they get those first steps. So we can cause poverty, but we can also have an amazing impact by choosing our supply chains to give back to really create jobs in those countries so I feel like it's a double-edged sword you can be a great person to um, to really encourage women and children and um, adults to have opportunities in business they couldn't before and your entrepreneurship money that how exciting like to give uh, a family an opportunity to set up their own business so they're not reliant on subsistence agriculture. That just gives them opportunities that would never been possible before. Um, and I am astounded at the network that that impacts. So you'll see families then not have as many children because they're not worried about how they're going to have someone to care about them in their old age. You'll see women really have opportunities they haven't had before into education. So enabling business just has, again, ripple effects throughout the whole community. So uh, amazing opportunity. So to make that practical, we could so we could check our supply chain, right? So yes. that's a little bit hard. Like if you're buying from Officeworks and Bunnings, it's a little bit hard to get to the bottom of, I guess, you know, yep. where all those products are tracked back. I know within textiles, I think the Baptist World Aid put out a report every year on clothing brands. Yep. And they rank them according to how sustainable they are and um, child labor and, and all those kind of things, which is yep. an amazing read, by the way, because yes. you might have a brand that you're really passionate about and then realize, well, actually, I'm part of the problem. And that's, yep. that's really quite confronting. Um, um, but then, of course, there's, there's making money here, um, which is quite easily to do, easy to do. And then there's contributing to people overseas. And I, I remember, um, because I had Peter, who's our Queensland guy, yep. kind of feedback the next year with what last year's money did. And I still remember there was, there was, um, there was a, a fellow there in, I can't even remember, uh, maybe Ethiopia from memory. Um, and, and he had a, I think it was a cow or maybe just a milking cow, yep. I think from memory. Um, and, uh, 
you know, and he was all happy, he was smiling away, and he was away in business. And, um, and I think there was a, a lady who had some sort of washing device or something, and she was out in business making money. And I'm like, I'm like, because, oh, I mean, I know, I know how much that costs to facilitate, and it's nothing, if I don't want to be rude and degrading, it's nothing in our scheme of things yes. to be able to set up somebody's dream. Like, they can have the dream, God puts that in. We can turn up with something that is insignificant for us, yes. um, massively significant for them, and they turn it into something fantastic, you know, that now that their kids can have education, you know, and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, I, I've always said little hinges swing big doors. And, and, and we, yeah, I, I just find those stories amazing because, you know, for us to start a business over here, there's actually, you know, quite a few barriers to entry yes. and, and they have more barriers to entry. But, but when we get started, actually, we're very affluent from, from day one. You know, and I think the thing that sets kingdom business apart is that we're not trying to build our own kingdom. Yeah. We're trying to advance the kingdom of God. And then, you know, ironically, if we advance the kingdom of God, then our kingdom will always, you know, increase anyway. Um, but I just think those stories are amazing. Have you got any more stories for us, like around mm. business, you know, and, and, and what happens when somebody in a developing country launches a business? And, and what's the trickle-down effect of that into a community? Yeah, let me tell you a story about a lady called Michelle who I met in the Philippines. Um, she had she came to the Compassion Project because she'd unexpectedly fallen pregnant and she didn't know how to care for her child. She didn't know how she was going to be able to feed herself enough to get through a pregnancy safely. Um, and the Compassion Mums and Bubs program, one of my favourite programs, helped her understand what she needed to do but also set her up in business. And when I say business, um, just imagine, it's very simple. So she sews bags and sells them in the local market. Um, to begin with, she just was hand sewing them. Uh, she was then um, able to buy a sewing machine through a, a, a donor like you was. And she was able to sew these bags enough to be able to have her child safely and create a safe home. But one of my favourite parts of my trip to the Philippines was walking with Michelle through her 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 town and this is the town that I just described I thought was hopeless like I thought there was no hope she walked through and reimagined that town with me and so her she was stable and now she could give back to her community so she walked past the veggie garden that she created with her friends and she had been able to buy the seeds so they could have this community garden and she didn't share at all about her role um, but as I was talking to some other mums, I said, oh, how do you afford the seeds? And they said, oh, Michelle buys the seeds and we bought the original ones and now we save them so we can keep going on and on. Then we walked past um, these children playing in what they call a playground. Um, it was just some old tyres sort of stacked together. And, she, and Michelle explained how they built this for the kids. But again, Michelle had in her own time brought the dads together to, to find these things and put them together. And as she walked around, she was just sharing with me the vision of a flourishing community. And this sewing machine cost $100 Australian. And she not only is able to provide for her family, she now says, Claire, I know God has a vision for my town and I'm playing my part in making sure that comes to life. And that story, I mean, I feel like if only I could buy 300 people a sewing machine um, and obviously it'd be different for everyone. 
but the amount that she is able to transform her community through a single sewing machine astounds me. Yeah. And do you find how many people blow the opportunity? Like, um, because in Australia, if you gave somebody a, a lot of money on day one, or, or, it's irrelevant. But if they had a lot of money, a lot of those people would blow that opportunity. They would take the short term win, um, possibly spend it on drugs, alcohol and gambling. You know, I'm, I'm generalising. But, you know, how does that play out in, in those countries? Do they, I mean, I'm sure there's still a little bit of that, but less, more? Yeah. What's happening on the ground? Yeah. I don't have exact figures, um, but there's been research done. During COVID, we had to do a lot of direct money transfers because in a number of countries, the government controlled food supply. And so we couldn't get food to families. So we would do direct money transfers. It has been shown that if you give money to a mother for food, they will use it more advantageously than you could provide for them because they know that this is the only thing that they can use to provide with their family. They bargain, they make sure they get the best nutrition. It's There's been a number of studies done that direct money transfers are used more effectively than a lot of other aid and development. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. It's exciting. It goes against a lot of common sense, right? Which is like, well, you know, because I mean, in Australia, you walk past a homeless person and you think, well, I'm not going to give them any money because they're just going to spend it on booze, right? And they may or may not, right? But, but, um, but your stats show that they appreciate it so much that they do the right thing. Yeah, and I think that goes actually to a deeper question, doesn't it, Wes? What, are we, what do we see as a person who is living in poverty? Like, are there actually pictures that we have of a mum in the Philippines living in poverty that tells us that she's uneducated, she can't handle spending money, we also need to see them as made in the image of God and having the same abilities as we do to care for their family. Well, I mean, going over there will ruin you, right? <laughs> yes. um, uh, I came to Christ in 2004 and three months later, um, some good apostolic gentlemen came to me and said, right, you're coming on a missions trip and you're preaching to the kids, which was wonderful experience. And we landed in Manila and we drove for seven hours through burning, you know, plastic smells and, yeah. And, and, and we, we arrived at night for the first night of this youth conference. And um, I remember we, we kind of walked in. It's like four bamboo sticks and a bit of a tarpaulin and, um, and a preacher, which I didn't understand a word they were saying. Um, <laughs> but actually, and they had an old tape deck, right, with buttons missing. Um, <laughs> and they had a, a microphone on a cord with the top had fallen off and some exposed wires. And, when they, and they had a bootleg Hillsong tape. Right, one of those kind of like, um, you know, like nineties, um, like Darlene Check yeah. era, right? <laughs> which I love, by the way. And and as soon as they put that worship on, though those people, I, I I don't think I've seen worship like it ever since, right? Yeah. And and they were in the dust, just weeping for Jesus and the joy they carried, you know. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, man, these guys are showing me up right yeah. in you know in this and so you're right we can have a view that actually doesn't set them up to win because they they don't see it as we see it yeah and 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 i you know and then take that back to what role can we play what a wonderful opportunity to be able to play a part in something like that right and and see that transformation maybe they should come over here and start running conferences for us <laughs> yeah, um <laughs> so i, I want to talk about um uh 
like corruption. Yeah. All over the world, politics and business have been strange bedfellows and they have fueled a whole bunch of corruption, right? If you look at, you know, the first place the apostles went after Jesus went back was straight to Antioch, was the center of the business world. That's where they first went and, and ruined the world for Jesus, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and Paul's biggest assignment was to take the gospel to Rome because that political empire was going to fall over as soon as it got the gospel, and it did. But, and even in Australia, we have, we, we have big businesses funding corrupt governments and then corrupt governments helping big businesses. Yeah. Um, how do you think that plays out in a developing country? Because, because surely that's got to be a massive reason why these people are in, in such dire straits. They're completely neglected by their government the government, you know, like, because I think about it like this, why would a government fix the problem if we always go in and, and mop up the mess? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't mop up the mess, but, but what are we doing to actually try and turn this tap off, yeah. right? You know, because, because they're corrupt and, and, and they've got no real motivation to fix it, right? Yeah. Um, so have you got any thoughts on, because that's what I wrestle with, so have you got any thoughts on that? More for me than the listeners. I just yeah. kind of want to get some wisdom of, from you as to how we... <laughs> navigate that? I think you've asked a massive question. So uh, firstly, I think the first thing to remember is that poverty is caused by massive system and corruption is only one part of it. Um, and you're right, we need to not only work from the community up, we also need to work from government down. And compassion works mainly in that community space and holistic child development. But we partner with organisations like International Justice Mission what they do is they apply the laws of the government, so laws that are already there, to bring um, corruption to light and to actually convict people um, acting in slavery. So there are organisations that are holding governments to account for corruption, which is wonderful. There's also that understanding um, some governments are corrupt and there's probably corruption in every government, but also some governments just don't have the funds to make the difference. So one thing that I've only just come to understand is to be able to trade internationally, you need access to other countries. And so if you're a landlocked country in Africa, you can't get to a port and you don't have planes. So governments have a massive expense of infrastructure then. And so it might not only be corruption, it just is, it's such an overwhelming expense for a government that doesn't have a lot of money. They can't cause, um, they can't put it right. Um, we try to, when it's not, so I, I mentioned those direct money transfers before. If we know that a government is not gonna act faithfully for its people, we will try and get the aid where it needs to go. And most aid organizations do that. Um, so, uh, I haven't answered your question very well. Corruption exists because power, misuse of power always exists. But let's play in the system and put pressure on the government where we can, but also look at the other systemic ways that we can make a difference. Yeah. Even as you're saying that, it helped me crystallise because we've, we've got the community up. Yeah. We've got the government down. Yeah. But we've almost got business from the side where we can just decide, well, I'm not playing bribes. I'm yep. not... I'm not I'm not doing brown paper bags under the table. I'm not, I'm not doing it that way. And, yeah. and so the worldly thinker hears that and says, well, then you just won't be able to compete. But a supernatural thinker goes, well, the Lord will make a way for me. You know, that if you see a person good in their work and they'll stand before kings, right? So just, 
just 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 do it right and and let the Lord bring an increase that you can't control or you can't create. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm actually reminded of. Do you know Twiggy Forrest? He's he's a billionaire yes. from West Australia. Yes. When COVID first landed, and I'm not close to the story, just just kind of heard it through a friend from him. He he grabbed his entire leadership team, jumped on his seventy million dollar plane, good on him, <laughs> and and he he created a charter that says, righto, you won't you won't do corrupt, you won't do child prostitution, you won't you won't like all these things that were you know damaging to society. And he went to them and he said, I'll bring hydrogen, you know, I'll bring the industry, I'll, br I'll give, you know, millions of jobs. If you agree to this charter, I'll bring my business to your country. And he went and met all with the kings and... and Amazing. And, and some of them were like, you're our only hope. Yeah. And so they signed up. Some were like, we're, we're too comfortable with our corruption to, to want to be part of this. But I think he got something like 25 heads of state to agree to this. It's amazing. And now he goes and rolls the business out in their countries and they prosper. Um, and the money that's made obviously then makes its way through the whole of society, not just to a, an elite view at the top. Yeah. And, uh, and it's better. And so that's what, that's what the side business can play in this, right? And also, I'm pretty sure now the other countries that didn't sign wish they had. Well, in time they might. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. All right. Let, I want to switch gears, move away from poverty yep. just for a minute. Uh, obviously, you're the CEO of a large organization. I want to talk about leadership just for a minute and, and what you've learned. I mean, you have paid staff. I'm, yes. ass I'm assuming you have a bunch of volunteers, yes. which just makes me shiver the thought <laughs> of being able to lead volunteers. It's hard enough to lead people you're paying, let alone volunteers. What, what are some of the leadership lessons, Claire, that you've learned in your role as Compassion CEO, both paid and, and, and volunteers? I feel like um, this could take hours because I started, you're right, um, in January 2020. And you said about 90 days before COVID, already on the first day, we were wondering, should we not fly planes through China because there was this virus? Um, so it began at the beginning. And... I think I really have learned a lot of things, but the thing I've learned most is that I won't ever stop learning. And if I do, um, it's time to get out of the gig. So um, the first thing that has been really important is that self-leadership comes first. Uh, COVID put a lot of pressure on decisions to be made quickly, um, changes, as Compassion works in events. All of a sudden, overnight, every event, and you were part of that, was every event shut down. All our volunteers didn't have a role anymore. Um, and I knew that poverty would be the worst probably in my, my generation over the next couple of years. But what I learned is if I'm anxious within myself, I make anxious decisions. And so how do I make sure, control my emotions and my anxiety so I can make the right decisions? I've really enjoyed the work of a man called Steve Cuss. Um, he's written a book called... Um, managing leadership anxiety and has a podcast and he just talks about knowing when you are anxious so that you can separate your anxiety from the decision you're making and that's been really important and he also talks about a life-giving list what are some things that give you life and they might be five minutes so one of the things that I did during COVID was handstands with my daughter um, hers were much more successful than mine but we would often just end up in a lot of laughter and that, that could take five minutes, but that gave me a lot of life. I think the thing that we learned very on early on in the pandemic was that the mission has to remain central. We're here to release children from poverty in Jesus' name, and we can't move away from that. 
And given the context, it meant we needed to get as much funds to the program countries as we could. And so that meant very hard decisions in Australia to cut our costs, um, which did mean reducing our staff base. But I couldn't justify to my board or my supporters not sending as much money as I could um, because the mission had to remain central to every decision. And that was pretty hard. Um, and then I think the one that you're sort of getting at with team and volunteers is how do you define a culture? Because you want the culture to be both your, your paid staff, but also the volunteers. And so we, over the last sort of 18 months, have gone through a process of who are we? What is our culture? And when you volunteer or you become a team member, what does that mean? How do you act? How do you operate? So that, I mean, it would be lovely to get so visible with our culture that people go, oh, do you work for compassion? You act like a compassion person. Um, and we're on a journey to that. But they're sort of the three things that we've held sort of central to how we operate in the last little while. The decision, the hard decision making is tough, hey? And, <laughs> but, I, but I just want to pick up on something that you just said. Your decision making was made a whole lot easier by the fact that you knew exactly what you were aiming for. Yes. If you weren't as clear as what you were aiming for, my guess is you would have deliberated for a long time, um, yeah. you know, made a half decision possibly, right? You know, but because you knew like that's it, like we are unapologetically chasing that, yeah. then all you really had to do was line everything up against that. Correct. And, and then make the decision, which is never easy. But, um, you know, and if your vision had been something different, it might have been keep the team and not put the money. Like, Correct. You know. So exactly right. I, I just think for a take home for the listeners and just to talk to them for a second, like, it's very hard making decisions. We as business people do it all day long, hundreds of them, and some are really heavy and big and horrible and some of them are nice and easy. But they're made a whole lot easier when you know exactly what the vision is and you've tasted it and you've seen it and you've purposed it in your heart because then all you have to do is line up your options against the decision, against the vision, and just make a decision and it makes your life a whole lot easier. And, and I just think that's amazing. Um, Compassion's approximately 60 years old, is that right? Correct, yes. Yeah. So that's enough time. Is, is Compassion Australia younger? Yes, we're about 40 years. Right, so still a good run. Yes. Even if they've been handed down to you, I'm wondering if there are stories that go like, somebody entered the program 57 years ago at six years old, Compassion walked with them to 18, they went to uni, they studied law, yeah. they then became a lawyer who entered government and became a mayor or a head, like a head of state and therefore, you know, completely changed policy. There's got to be, in 60 years of legacy, there's got to be some of those. Have you got, have you got some practical stories? Yeah. Um, I want to introduce you to a man called Richmond Wandera. Um, he entered our project. His mum was a single mum, um, couldn't afford uh, for him to have enough food, and he entered our project in Africa um, and went through our program. He went to university. Uh, and he then um, studied theology. He went to America and did his PhD. He's now back leading the church where he went to the Compassion Project at. And that's exciting. But he's also now across Africa training thousands of ministers because in Africa, access to theological education is tough. And so he now trains thousands and thousands of ministers in theology and how you minister and how you run your projects. Um, it is extraordinary. When you speak to him, he's that amazing um, voice. It just feels like um, 
we are going to see from this one person communities around and through Africa, through many countries, just changed. And that the gospel, like it, the gospel is going to transform those countries. It's not just going to transform those communities anymore. And he tells the story that it was through one sponsor's decision to sponsor him that we're now seeing communities across, across Africa change for the gospel. Um, and that that is just exciting. And then there's a bigger story. Compassion began in South Korea um, after the Korean War, and it was to look after the children that were orphaned through the war. Korea now is one of our biggest fundraising countries to support the work of compassion around the world. And that's our hope that our countries that we work in become giving countries around the world. So you've got the individual examples, and then you've got the example of a country, Korea, that's gone on that journey as wow. well. So the country that it starts in over 60 years, yeah. who was the beneficiary, yes. has to some degree pulled itself out of poverty. And totally. there, are, there are enough people there that caught the vision that now fund the expansion yeah. around the world. It's amazing. That is amazing. Uh, the vast majority of my audience that listen would be from a Western culture. So I want to give you license just to kind of stir them up for compassion, but I guess just compassion in general. Yeah. Um, you know, we can be so hidden to poverty. Yeah. What yeah. would you say to us? We have a man called Hendoko, who is the uh, country director of Indonesia. And he's told me that, Claire, we are losing a generation. We are losing a generation to famine. 260 million people in Africa alone are dying of starvation. We're losing a generation because they haven't gone to school, because they, they, their school shut down, they haven't reopened, and parents can't afford to send them back. We're losing a generation because of slavery. Parents were desperate and have sold children into slavery during COVID. But what I'd say to us in our privileged country in Australia, we have the opportunity to restore that generation. And we can be remembered as a generation that stopped poverty and like Jesus sacrificially gave so that these children around the world can flourish. So that's what I would say to your listeners. Do you want to be the generation to restore people around the world? Far out, I love it. And I could, I could talk to you all day, I reckon, <laughs> um, because it's not a job for you, obviously. No. Um, it's so much more and it just, you've got a heart of compassion, which is why it lines up so well with the organisation. And, you know, for me, my, my life moves in seven-minute blocks, right? And, and, it would, and it's so easy to just be building, 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 building. And, but I know for me, I need, to hear this, I need to hear this more often than I have, for sure, because it's, to me, it's so easy to forget, you know? And I, we live in a privileged country and I have a privileged life. And I'm not upset by that, right? Yeah. Um, but I do believe that there's a response to that, which is, which is the important factor. Um, so hopefully we can chat more one day. That'd be amazing. I love stories, um, especially practical stories of where, you know, one little seed has ended up building a massive tree that generations can benefit from. Yeah. I mean, that's just amazing. Two, two, two quick questions. Uh, if I was to rally a group of kingdom entrepreneurs from around the world or around Australia, can we go and get boots on the ground somewhere and do something practical to help? I read this question before this podcast and I've undenied over how to answer it. Our role is to enable the communities to build their own future. 
And so um, I don't want to give you an answer because it's not my answer to give. It's the community's answers to give. And so um, I would love to go on a journey with you and whoever you want to rally to understand what these communities are seeing as their future and how we can be part of that. So I don't have, I would love to give you, I would like this, but I want to invite you and whoever wants to join you into a journey of listening with me. And then we can work out how we can enable these communities the best. All right. So if you're listening to this and this strikes a chord with you and I've piqued your interest on playing a role, whether it's boots on the ground or something from here or both, if I've piqued your interest, then put a thumbs up in the comments below or send me a message or send me a DM on social um, and we'll walk a journey and see where that unfolds. One final question, Claire, that we ask everybody that jumps on the podcast. How is the kingdom advancing because of Claire Steele's life? My hope is it's advancing because I am enabling others to really do the work that God calls them to. I want to see people flourish in the work God has enabled for them. And in my world, that is understanding the vulnerable in the world and how God has a vision for them. I love it. You're a blessing. You've been a blessing to me for the last half an hour. You'll be a blessing to the audience. You're obviously a blessing to the kingdom and, and the team there at Compassion. Thank you so much. Um, you know, we might circle back in some time and tell some more war stories or something like that. Um, because I know I need it. I, I need to hear this regularly, you know, just to keep that alignment of what's important. So really appreciate you with the busy schedule, taking time out to come and join us. And, um, and guys, with listening to this, I want you to basically audit it and go, okay, what was the top one thing that jumped out to you from what Claire said? She said a lot of stuff and it was amazing, but there would be probably one or two things that really leaped on the inside for you. And I want you to put that in the comments because I want the feedback loop uh, of what that is. And then I want to feedback to Claire, you know, what it is that was really popping. So guys, take, you know, just take 30 seconds and come up with what you top one thing and put it in the comments. Claire, you're a blessing. Thanks so much for your time and we'll be in Thanks, touch real soon.